0: Hello, and welcome to a Todd and Taylor show called uh, Coffee and Comics. Again, hello, Taylor. Hi, Todd. How are you? I'm well. We did this about a month ago. We recorded a podcast on a Sunday morning. We were both drinking coffee, and one of us said, oh, it's like coffee and comics. And and then we decided, hey, that should just be a thing where we just do early morning Sunday podcasts. It happens to be a time of the week when we're both free. Uh, we could even talk about the coffee we're drinking. Um, That's great. Right. And then, a, and then a comic book. So that's what we're going to do today. We're not going to go through, sometimes we go through like huge lists of like what we're pulling at the comic book shop and what we got on our to be read pile and what we just finished. And today we're just going to talk about one book. Uh, Taylor's going to talk about one book. I'm going to talk about one book. Um,
1: it's like the, uh, it's like the ending of Reading Rainbow, you know, when the kids are up there and the, he, he throws it to the three kids and they each kind of review a little book. It's going to be like that, but just for adults and for, for comics adults. and, <laughs> yeah. and not, not involving LeVar Burton yet. Maybe sometime down down the road. So
0: uh, we should start with the coffee part. Yes. uh, What are you drinking this morning?
1: (laughs) Well, this morning I am drinking an old favorite. Um, It's called the Phantom Limb Blend by Huckleberry Roasters, which is a local uh, roastery here in Denver. It's got a couple uh, shops as well. This has been a favorite of mine for a while because it's kind of bright, it's light, and it's got a lot of fruity sort of – fruity flavors going on but the thing about it and they'll say this on their website too the thing about it that i especially like is that no two batches are ever the same the character of the coffee will change from batch to batch so while the you know it's definitely phantom limb every time like there's a you know it may may be a little different in october than it is in august or vice versa um so it's it's pretty it's pretty rad you can find it on their website or if you're here in denver you can find it at a huckleberry roasters near you but i've got mine right here what about you oh Uh, You know,
0: when we came up with this premise, I probably should have explained that I am a coffee Philistine. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm drinking uh, Starbucks iced coffee.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Now, keep in mind, none of this is, we're not sponsored by anybody. We just want to like, you know, I just kind of, I thought it'd be, it'd be a good idea to talk about the uh, the coffee. So if you want to join us at home and and have the same, the (laughs) same drink that we're drinking right here, you can, you can live like the stars yourself, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you want to drink like Todd, (laughs) you can find it anywhere. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure I'll have my uh,
1: my generic stuff here once in a while too. When
0: we do have a, um, the opportunity to record these shows in person, uh, it'll be much more interesting because (laughs) from time to time I do drink a good coffee. I guess I think this is pretty good, but, uh, I do drink like a crafty coffee and certainly when I'm in Denver, um, actually I probably make you take me to Starbucks all the time when I'm in Denver. Um, Yeah, actually, yesterday, I got the just default vanilla iced coffee um, because I had a reward and I didn't tweak it or anything. And I realized um, that that was sort of my gateway drug into coffee. I went from like tea into iced coffee with all the syrup in it. And uh, now I usually tell them to cut back on the syrup. And yesterday I got I just didn't say anything. And I got this thing that was like a McDonald's soft drink kind of coffee drink. Mm. And so Maybe I am, you know. I was like, this isn't bitter enough for me. <laughs> so maybe I am becoming a coffee drinker. Anyway, you're we growing, should- <laughs> Todd. You're growing. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm. Yeah, growing up. Um, ah, yeah. Uh, well, that's that's the coffee. Let's. I guess let's just jump into the books. And you know, as we as we go from episode to episode, we'll probably tweak this a little bit. You know, tweak the format. Sure. But I'm I'm thinking the coffee and the, and the single and the the key is single book because you and I have gotten a little carried away. In the past, with some of our lists, so this will be good to just focus in on one book each, and then hopefully we're we're going to be talking about books that you, the listener, haven't maybe read yet, or maybe you've heard of it, you've seen it in your local shop, um, and you're like, ah, one day I'll get to that, or maybe I don't know enough about it to to buy it. This will be your guides through the the world of of stuff, and I think it's for sure. You know, I've, I have a bit of a history of always picking, you know, very off the cuff stuff. You as well have, you know, we don't, we don't always go for the big two, although some of the stuff we review is big twos, you know, big two stuff, Marvel or DC stuff, but I love the, I love that we're sort of the, uh, you know, much more indie oriented. I think you and I <laughs> equally have a, you know, we've, we've gone on at length about our, our love of image, but I think even beyond that, we, we tend to pick books that are a little, little left of center. So I can't wait. What, what, what is your first book? Uh, Todd, this week kicking us off. What do you got?
0: Well, it's it's Batman. No, <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> it's not
0: actually. Batman, your one. Here um, we go. It is. Uh, it is an image comic, of course. Um, of course. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm the more conventional of the two of us, as you can tell by the Starbucks coffee. That's what <laughs> it is, man. The kind of coffee you drink determines the kind of uh, books Ooh, you're um, you read. Um, so uh, I mentioned this. I think on our on our previous coffee and comics that it, this was on my. Actually, back then it was on my to be found pile because uh, I was not able to get a copy of this at uh, San Diego Comic Con. Even though I saw the artist uh, on a panel, it is called Rocket Girl, mm-hmm. uh, and it is by Brandon Montclair and Amy Reader. Amy Reader is the artist, and um, so if I, you know, after we did our show, I went out to my local comic shop and grabbed a copy of the trade paperback, Volume One. Uh, they are. I think they've actually finished the issues to be ready with trade paperback two. you know, Mm -hmm. I think the image generally does like five or six issues to a trade. So I think they've done the next six. I think they're on issue 13 or something right now. So I'm really looking forward to picking that up. Um, It is. So I I saw this panel with Amy reader and I thought she just said such cool things about her art. And then the panels they showed as examples were so perfect. Um, And even it was that great experience of like one thing Taylor and I talk about all the time is, you know, we can deal with uh, a bad story if the art is genius, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we, we can't deal with a great story if the art is dog shit, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just seeing those panels and pages they showed at comic con, I knew like, Oh, well I'm into this, you know, this story could be garbage and I will be into it. Uh, Lucky for me and lucky for you, The story is not garbage. Um, (laughs) It is uh, so. I'll briefly. I'll give you the sort of brief summary. Is um, it is about this character named? Well, I mean, it's not just about her, but the main character is uh, uh, a teenager named uh, Dayung Johansson. Yes, Dayung Johansson. Um, Hope I'm pronouncing that somewhat accurately. And she is a New York City teen police officer. From the year 2013. um, And she has time traveled back to 1986. So that is, um, you know, that, that, I guess for, um, for lack of a better setting that that's the context, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, there's obviously specifics, there's a bunch of time travel stuff in it. Um, And I, I, we've probably mentioned on the show before that. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I time travel for me uh, is—it's not always a thing that I'm into, uh, because it does seem to be like a everyone's trying to outdo themselves with the best time travel,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, spin these days. Mm -hmm. It's like it's Mm -hmm. kind of a common go-to thing for storytelling, Um, especially with image comics. It seems like there's you know there's dimensional travel and there's time travel and there's you know uh, there's just a bunch of ways that people are playing with reality in, uh, you know, in comics. Um, well, it's a good, it's a, one, I mean, it's, it's a trope, honestly. And it's, yeah, I was trying to, I was really trying to d- tread around saying trope, but I,
1: well, yeah, I, I understand that because, and, and, and that's not to diminish any time they use time travel as a storytelling mechanism, because it is, I mean, it's, it's easy to do, but you can, there's still a deep, 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 well, you can mine or, or dip into um, from it. But I feel like there are some, some titles that kind of like you're like okay here we go again you know it's it's like it's i think right now the the true trope and image is honestly the superhero or like origin story there are at least five different titles that are in some phase of of ongoing um ongoing issues that it's basically the same thing it's like hey we're gonna we're not a big two superhero but we're gonna tell you those stories so i think time travel at the moment's probably not quite as as intense as it was a couple years ago but it's it's worth bringing up just because it is one of those sort of storytelling mechanisms in comics that's easy to do. Agree.
0: Uh, it is easy to do, you know, me, uh, in a mediocre way, and yeah, then yeah. and then it becomes this. I, I think that's that's probably why I, I, you know, I put my guard up when I talk about time travel. Uh, mm the trope or whatever, or the setting of time travel, however we want to say it. That's not insulting because you think, well, you've this, the, uh, storyteller has to tell it in some new way, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, it, um, anyway, they, <laughs> I think they do. I think they succeed with that. Uh, I, I don't know exactly why they chose 1986. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've only read trade paperback one, uh, except to say that in the panel where I saw Amy reader, there was definitely uh, a page that they showed, which was not in this book mm-hmm. and it was very eighties. Mm-hmm. So it made me think that maybe, maybe after volume one, they kind of got into that more. Um, there's a good thing. And I wonder how much image encourages this. There are so many volume ones for, and you know, again, like if you don't read image comics, Taylor and I cannot say this enough. The, They always do a thing where the first trade paperback volume one of any series is $9.99, like just to Mm -hmm. hook you. And Mm -hmm. there are honestly so many trade paperback number ones from Image that are just like amazing. It's like a movie where it's just like a screaming action movie for Mm -hmm. one whole volume. And then after that is when they kind of dig into the story. It's almost like that's that's the thing that image is, you know, training their storytellers to do. Um, well, it's like, like an- it's like
1: a really great, it's like a great first season or a pilot of a. TV oh yeah. Show. You know, like issue one has to do certain things to hook the reader, but then volume one or quote unquote season one has yeah. to take the. I mean, and the great example is both East of West volume one and then um, Wicked and Divine volume one, which we'll, you might get into on, on future episodes of this, of this show. But like both of those really, really felt yeah. like season one of a TV show and you're what? just like oh my god and then just like season i mean very much like game of thrones season one where like they have you know they have to introduce you to the world to the main characters but they also have to leave you with a a wtf moment yeah. that you know <laughs> you're like i want and then to, to to your point you know volumes two three four and, and so forth get much more nuanced much more into it and that does seem to be a, a image-wide thing it's interesting
0: well i i shouldn't have characterized it like image is telling their artists and storytellers to do that because it's all creator owned. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's just what good storytellers do is they realize, yeah. um, you know, we've, we've got to like come out of the gate, like really hard <laughs> mm-hmm. and hook everybody on. And because image is creator owned, they're allowed to think, um, you know, and I, they do with the big two as well, but they, they think much more in that cycle of like, here's the first arc and here's the second arc. Um, and I love that you brought up both East of West and Wicked and Divine because those are two volume ones where I really enjoyed volume one. And then mm-hmm. for Wicked and Divine, I just didn't, you know, I didn't really enjoy volume two and just figured I'd sit out for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And East of West, I just haven't picked up volume two because it felt to me like, well, I'm just going to want to read the whole thing yeah, <laughs> in one sitting, yeah, you know. Definitely. Um So, you know, it can go either way. Like there's, there's, you brought up two examples where you got hooked and you stayed in it. Uh, I bounced out of both of those, but you know, I kept going with this one and paper girls and black science and saga and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's very fun and it's very cool. And I would say that, um, the way they handle time travel is there's a couple of like really clever, um, I want. I almost said callbacks, but they're like call forwards <laughs> mm-hmm. where something is planted in the time travel story. That's also in, you know, just like little stuff that then you'll see kind of pay off in one of the flash forwards or the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, so they've done it in such a, a subtle way where they're not trying to be super complicated and super clever it's not inception you know it's not like a brain you have to like take your brain out and think about your other brain (laughs) that's working within that brain or something to figure it out it's you can just read it and enjoy it and it's going to fly right by and it's you know it's a lot of fun um there's this great thing in the in the 2013 there's a really cool thing where they talk about 2013 as the past um because obviously once you change it in 1986. Then that was a thing that happened, you know, to young and it doesn't. So it's not going to happen later. Wait, does
1: she? she, Is it like quantum leap, or there's some uh, person or device that tells her what the future's like based on her actions?
0: No, she is from 2013, and they know that things have gone awry, and so Mm -hmm. she is sent back. Yeah, good for me to say it this way. So she is sent back. Um, there's a corporation that's basically taken over all government and policing and everything. So the teenagers have formed their own police department and they don't Mm -hmm. trust anybody over 30, like Mm -hmm. basically over 20, when somebody turns 20, it's (laughs) kind of like, so, um, these uh, teenagers who are like the pure police, uh, have realized we can't compete with this corporation and we have to go back and destroy the thing that created this, this one machine, the Q engine. Mm. Um, and so she has to sneak into quantum mechanics or quantum engineering or whatever it is to, to, you know, jump in their time travel Q machine, Q engine. Uh, and she reappears at the moment where they're starting it up in 1986 mm-hmm. with a group of, uh, engineering students like PhD candidates, um, who can't believe that this girl from the future in a jet pack and like astronaut outfit has just appeared in their lab, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so, of course, as you can imagine, there are police from the future who have to pursue her back into the past. And um, then the story flashes forwards to show, you know, or, or flashes back in their, <clears throat> in their terminology to show what led her to that decision to make the leap alone and all that kind of stuff. And so um, it's really a, a chase adventure from that beginning where she just shows up in this uh, lab, which I, I think is MIT. Um Oh, that can't be right. It's in New York or something. Um, Boy, I should have nailed down these details. But anyway, yeah, so she just appears in this lab and then it's, you know, and then uh, she immediately has to set in motion the events to destroy this engine and the cops, or not the cops, but the bad guys from the future um, have to, you know, come back to try to stop her. And so Mm -hmm. then it, you know, it's just uh, there's a couple of cool incidents where she interacts with the 1986 New York Police Department who are you know, adults, um, where she foils a couple of crimes and, you know, you can imagine the first, the, you know, the first one, the cops are very dumbfounded. What's this young person with, uh, you know, New York police <laughs> insignia on her jetpack doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, and then there's of course like the gruff, you know, uh, police sergeant or whoever's in charge, you know, the Lieutenant who's in his trench coat and the very 1986 tropey um, kind of person. Uh, I don't know. It's just, um yeah it's a a great action short and the art is just lovely it's beautiful um it reminds me a lot of uh the art from babs tar and she does uh, motor crush right now for image but it actually reminds me more of um her run on Batgirl where okay. she set Batgirl in Burnside, like kind of the Brooklyn of Gotham. And mm-hmm. it was very colorful and sort of hipstery. And this is just like really colorful art. Um, And, you know, it's, it. I don't know, it's expressive. And for an image comic, it actually doesn't look so artsy fartsy. It's very much in a comic style, you know, mm-hmm. these are, uh, and one of the great things that, Amy reader does is that so many of the pages and even individual panels and stuff are just, they're just laid out really well. Not, not in a, again, not in like a super artsy way. That's like really indie or whatever, but it's like a whole page will be tilted sort of 45 degrees or something. So you're, you're seeing a bunch of information that'll just be all these like sort of split screens. And the one I'm thinking of is, has a bunch of digital, Information that's being presented, like computer screens and televisions and things like that, and and the page is tilted, and so you're just seeing this great interface, basically, of like all this information that you need to be told. And then when there's a big action scene, she'll tell it across two pages, and the way the panels are interconnected is just really great and very actiony and very superhero-y, You know, mm-hmm. um, it's a girl with a jetpack who's a cop, so she's jumping around and like you know, flying around in this jetpack and beating up people and has these sirens like the siren her police uh lights are on her shoulders um so it's you know it's i don't know just colorful fun um i it's it very much in that babs tar style of like where it takes just enough from manga to work and takes just enough from superhero comics to work and it's you know two thumbs up
1: <laughs> yeah nice i uh so uh full disclosure i ended up reading issue one of this um goodness maybe a year or so ago when image was doing one of their like 99 cent single sales like so if if you're not aware image.com or image comics.com rather will do periodic sales whether in conjunction with a holiday or even like uh, sdcc or dragon con or any of those kinds of things and they'll but usually put issue ones um up for 99 cents and then usually going back to kind of our 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 point about volume one of a trade, trade paperbacks will be 699, 599, like digitally. Um, great way to just jump in. So I ended up buying like 10 issue ones. Uh yeah. got a year or two ago during that thing. And Rocket Girl was one of them. And I remember like seeing it going, well, this is cool, but it hadn't quite mat- you know, like matured. I think they were only into like issue four at that point. So I was like, well I'll come back to this. Yeah. Um, after here, there's a couple of questions I had though that as you were describing it, the first thing that jumped out at me, and even like reading that first issue, at, at any time did you feel like this could have or should have been a manga first? Uh, have that sort of quality to it? Uh,
0: I mean, um, not really. I mean, if they had illustrated it that way, if the illustrations leaned more towards that, it still would have worked for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's very um, it's very american and mm. it's handling of these issues um yeah it's definitely i mean it doesn't have that japanese feel okay. of of a manga um yeah it's you know i'm <laughs> struggling to recall some uh, manga that i've read but a couple of the like you know battle armor mech things that'll deal with space or ghost in the shell kind of stuff or mm-hmm. um gunsmith cats or whatever there's always a um yeah it, it It's definitely a different treatment of sci-fi in this. It's a very American treatment of like how it can be fun. You know, it's sci-fi, okay. but it's fun and action-y and it's, you know, 1986 jokes and things like that.
1: Well, and that's the other thing I was going to mention. Like 1986, this is like the fourth or fifth time now, at least in comics. But then like, you know, add to that all other popular mediums where the 80s are just being like mythologized like crazy, which I'm fine with. I've always loved the 80s. I, you know, even in high school, I was like, the 1980s are the greatest decade of all time. But like, I wonder. I mean, it, remind me: is Paper Girls, which is another image release, is that set in the '80s or is that set in modern day?
0: Oh boy, that's another time travel, dimension jumping, space hopping craziness. Yeah, yeah. it definitely it starts
1: in the '80s. Okay, um, but that that's that that said, like just the fact that that's another. You know, it, again, you you I think had mentioned before it was very much like the the female Goonies almost, um, oh, but it okay. just has. Yeah, Paper Girls, yeah. So yeah. it's like, I, I bring that up only because like this is yet another image title where there's like, you know, a female protagonist set in the 80s. Um, I just, I I feel like that is, that's a really cool thing. I wonder how much longer that kind you know, like we'll see that last. Like, will there be a, a, a cutoff point where all of a sudden now, all the time travel, you know, mechanisms are about the 90s or about, you know, like something else. Um, yeah,
0: I have a yeah. pretty good guess at when it'll cut off. <laughs> when do you When do you think? <laughs> uh i <laughs> when the you know next generation of artists <laughs>
1: are but, i mean but I is think, that because one well, but but is that though because for the longest time if you recall i mean for 20 30 years it seems like the decade that was mythologized more than any other was the freaking 50s like everything yeah. had to do with the 50s like oh we're you know greece we're, we're going to the 50s back to the futures back to the 50s like and and some of it was, you know, hey, we wanted to make sure that you know your parents were in high school, your parents were younger, or, you know, there was a lot of that. And a lot of the baby boomers who sort of you know drove culture were you know all hot and nostalgic for their you know their decade of origin. Sure. So I wonder, and maybe it's that with the 80s. Yeah. Um, but part of me too, I even in music, right? Like there's so much music right now that's just so reminiscent of the 80s and with Stranger Things and just all all the rest really kind of at the epicenter of culture right now. I say this because even 10 years ago, like in 2006, 2007, I was like, okay. And at that point, sort of the eighties, uh, love had, had already happened in a lot of ways. Like it had permeated fashion it had permeated design. And I thought, okay, well we're done with that. But then it permeated story and it hasn't yeah. stopped. And I, re- and I love it again. I'm not, I'm not complaining at all, but I'm really curious if that's something where it's like, the more it happens, the more it will happen, you know, like a, to the point where if I hate there's some creator who wasn't even born in the 80s because at that point i mean think about this like there's kids you know kids there are 20 year old you know 25 year olds who were born in 1992 who are perfectly capable of doing comics right now or even you know running their own publishing oh, house. Yeah. so it's like at what point are they i feel like they're still leaning back to this decade that like they've heard about and have seen glamorized and it's like well we want to you know we want to put stories we didn't get to live in that decade so we want to put stories there to feel connected to it, you know, it's
0: that's funny because i i I,
1: the,
0: I can't do a great job of picking it out. But I think you know if we if we really went through all this pop culture, we could probably pick out uh, what someone who lived through the eighties, you know, are, are they recapturing their youth, or is it a story that's set in the eighties, sort of artificially, in order to capture what they imagine that mm-hmm. time was? Um, I really think in this case, it's probably two storytellers you know the the writer and the artist who you know were kids in the 80s and that's mm-hmm. they they said it in 86 because that was sort of a sign, significant year for them mm-hmm. but um it, you know to bring her up again like Babs Tar and and Batgirl of Burnside what made the Burnside run on Batgirl so cool was there was no flashback to an earlier time this wasn't mm-hmm. a Batgirl story told by older guys who'd you know, grown up on other Batman stories and we're just sort of doing their own version of it. This was a super contemporary version. And when you think about it, it's like as an artist uh, and I don't know how old the writer on that was. Um, I think it's Brendan Fletcher, Cameron Stewart, one of those Cameron Stewart, I think was the writer on that. Um, and I, you know, I don't know how old he is, but, um, but Babs tar was, is, I believe in her, you know, middle, late twenties. So she was talking about, a, it was a very contemporary Batgirl. girl. Like, no, this is Batgirl. girl. It's basically in a version of Brooklyn that exists today. It had to do with social media. We can all see, like there was no nostalgia for the past in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, you know, I just don't think she is an artist, especially with motorcross. She hasn't done it is, you know, as, as far as a creator, she's not going to tell those stories from the eighties cause she didn't grow yeah. up in them. Yeah. Um, but I love that you bring that up about the era they grew up in, because when I started reading comics, this is, I always thought it was so weird that all the, um, the big conflict that everything would refer to, even though, you know, it was referred to in the past uh, would be Vietnam. You know, when you, when you think about 80s movies and it's like Rambo and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that stuff was just pointing back to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And, as a kid consuming that, it was like I don't even understand why.
1: we are yeah. still talking about? Well, this, okay, you know? there's a great point. There's a um, great, point. I, and it's it's funny you should say that because yeah, you're right. There's a lot, and even I'll even go kind of a step further. I remember there's there were several Sesame Street sketches in the '80s that referenced like you know stuff that happened in the '70s, and I'm like, I yeah, like five. Jimmy Carter or something, or even like yeah. the, like like the Blues Brothers movie, or just oh, like yeah. stuff, stuff that happened. That I'm like, I don't I. I guess I kind of familiar with this. So I wonder is, is that fatigue going to set in here? Right. Are people going to go, yeah. oh God, not the eighties again. Like, well, I, again, I, I hope not. I love the eighties. I could, I may they forever, may they last forever more.
0: Well, um, I think, but that's a good point because it's like, if you are that storyteller, do you, um, you know, how much are you risking by setting it in that? Because you're going to start alienating an audience. And I would say that in the case of stranger things, um, you know, the story is, is, I mean, it's so cool to watch mm-hmm. that the eighties is really like, it, that's like a, a sci-fi version of Mad Men where yeah, they were trying to yeah. nail the <laughs> 80s details. They weren't trying to like fetishize it exactly. Yeah, they were trying yeah. to nail it like in setting. Um, well, that's
1: why I like but, it. I, mean, I have brought the show, the movie adventure land up on this show a few times. Yeah. And again, the reason I love that movie so much is because it's such a realistic, it's not like, yeah, And yeah, there are a few flourishes that you're like, okay, they kind of want an extra, extra step there. But for the most part, you could watch Adventureland and just think, oh, that's just a bunch of hipsters in 2017. Like, I, it, not realizing it is 1987. But it's, I love it for that reason, because the the subtle details are what really, you're like, oh my God, this is what it was like living in this time. Like, as a kid, like, I remember all this, you know? Um, So I think part of me too thinks like, you. Know, you and I'm looking at the art of Rocket Girls, we've been, as we've been talking, which by the way, is it's, it's very similar to motor crush, but it's very, it's very much its own thing, which I appreciate. They definitely, you know, you can tell they definitely went for a specific aesthetic. Um, uh, But it's just like, part of me, you know, how much, how much of this pitch by the way was what if we did Beverly Hills cop, but with a girl (laughs) from the future, like, you know, it has sort of, it seems like it might have sort of that, yeah, at least at least at the the genesis, and granted they they've taken it you know much much further from that. But like that almost seems like that would have been kind of the the seed, right? Like, hey, let's do that. Let's see what would happen. I, that's
0: funny because um I I would think it was much more like it's going to be Back to the Future, but they're going to go oh. back to eighty six, and it's going to be a time traveling you know cop teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, where I was driving with all that is I like I I, I love that you brought this up about you know, eighties nostalgia and stuff like that is because I think you can read rocket girl without caring that it's okay. 1986 specifically. Great. Okay. You know? So in that way, I think it should be appealing to anyone. If anything, the cover of the trade paperback, cause I like you, I think I bought issue one as well and just never read it mm-hmm. during one of those 99 cent sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I bought the trade, I was like, Oh yeah, I think I saw this trade come out And they've actually done this Rocket Girl in this kind of, you know, mirrored thing with these like bursts of light coming off of it that looks very much like an 80s album cover for the, Mm -hmm. um, the, almost like a Patrick Nagel uh, painting or something, a way Mm -hmm. framed Rocket Mm -hmm. Girl at this diagonal angle up in the corner. Mm -hmm. And I think that turned me off when I saw Mm -hmm. that on the trade paperback originally. Like if I had not seen the interior of it at Comic-Con, I would have kept walking past this because as much as the, actual drawing on the front looks cool that headline just sort of throws me off but Mm -hmm. that doesn't reflect what's on the inside it's not um yeah it's not like an 80s fetish thing where they're not trying to nail the details of the 80s even in the way of like stranger things or something it's almost like just they just picked something 30 years in the past I see you know so um and like I said it may it may change up a little bit it may just be that they wanted to draw that like amy just may have thought hey it's going to be cool to you know draw this girl in like the ridiculous clothes of the 80s in subsequent versions so yeah um, yeah so all of that you know it it all works for me and i don't think it if you're like a super 80s enthusiast i don't and you picked this up i don't think it's going to give you like all the 80s (laughs) yeah you know vibes you want um but also you know the if you're not an eighties enthusiast, then it, it's not going to alienate you. Like it's just yeah. going to work. Cause it's more about a time traveling teenage cop.
1: Nice. Um,
0: yeah. So who doesn't want to see jetpacks in the 1980s? I think that's the other thing about the eighties is that as a decade, um, they were so focused on future sci-fi and stuff like Ooh, that. Good
1: point. Whereas yeah, the, yeah. you know,
0: we're kind of in that again. Um, but I don't, I don't think you can say the same for the nineties. You know, so when we think about the nineties and putting something back in that, we're just putting everybody in flannel, you know, it's like, (laughs) there's no, um, you can set something in the eighties, but it's also lends itself to the future because so much of the eighties was this sort of futuristic, you know, new wave (laughs) music and, um, you know, the way we dressed and stuff like that. So it was, I don't know. That's a good decade to choose. So I feel like I've rambled enough about Rocket Girl. I say pick it up, start reading this thing. Um, it's so fun, and I like having fun comics that I don't have to think about too much, but I can still enjoy all the clever uh, references and call forwards and stuff.
1: Well, I have um, a book that you do have to think about. <laughs>
0: all right, let me let me hear it. What do you got?
1: Um, and it's one, I'll, probably, I'll kind of tease it. It's one that has always been in a shop every time I've walked in, always been there I've always been like okay one day I'm gonna buy this and get it it's 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 something that you know it's always kind of been on my essentials list and I just never had the chance and then recently I walked into my local shop and they had it literally on their like staff picks sort of end cap and I'm like all right I'll you, you called my bluff I'm gonna get it and it's the graphic novel Pyongyang a journey in North Korea by Ugh, Guy Delisle
0: I'm so jealous
1: um well and it's it's and I'm sure I can hear some people out there going, "Wait, Pyongyang?" Like, yes. Um, this is a drawn and quarterly published um, published book, and it's one that's been. I mean, I've seen it. You, you know, you see it all the time. It's got that cover of the, um, you know, the drawing of the women playing the accordion uh, accordions on it. And I've always, you know, I always, it's kind of always been presented as like, you know, this is important reading. Like, if, if you're gonna have, if you're gonna deep, you know, d- uh, dive deep into the the world of graphic novels, you want to build your sort of a essentials list you know you got Watchmen. you probably got ink like this is on there too right so I finally grabbed it and it is all black and white drawings by Guy Delisle um and let me just kind of Guy yeah. Delisle is a um back sorta, up a little.
0: oh good sorry to be pedantic but it, it is Guy Delisle oh it's I'm a, sorry
1: Guy Delisle French name <laughs> well <laughs> that Guy <laughs> sorry, Delisle just, just, you, know, <laughs> you know our
0: you know our listeners and their uh they're oh no
1: I appreciate a- that now I
0: no, we don't actually get listener mail that's angry at us. But
1: we're just going to go back and awkwardly edit over the correct pronunciation. <laughs> my <Am I, laughs> So, Guy Dealey. I'm see how long I can keep that up. Um, he's, a, he's a Canadian cartoonist and animator, um, and he's like this. This was kind of his. He was always doing that. Was always supervising shows and stuff. Um, but this uh, this graphic novel is kind of his big, uh, you know, sort of entrance into bigger popularity let's really you know sort of set him up and he's done some other stuff um too and he you know actually did another graphic novel before this one but this one came out in 2004 um so kind of rewind back to that time it's interesting because north korea is so prominent in the news and just you know and, and events right now go back to a time in 2004 when george w bush was just reelected, and kim jong-il was president of north korea kim jong-un wasn't even anywhere in the picture i think he at that point was had just been uh, in the news for sneaking into Japan with a uh, like forged passport or something. Um, so this was a different time, very similar, but still very different because it you know at that point uh, you know YouTube had, was just being born. Like all the all the media and access to stuff wasn't quite what it is. MySpace was basically the social media of the time. So paint paint that picture for yourself as we go through this. But at the same time, I think it's it's almost more relevant to read this now because so much of what he talks about and what he goes through has not changed at all. Um, so it's a little bit interesting to go, wait, and this was when 2004? And like, they still like, it's the same thing. Um, a, gr- a couple great comparison points in terms of just the story. And I'll, I'll get more into the story in just a second, but, um, similar in flow to that vice, uh, series on YouTube inside North Korea, um, in that they go to this, a lot of the same landmarks, um, a lot of the same, if you watch that, that Vice documentary and you read this, you'll go, oh my God, they basically, he was basically sent on the same kind of journey. Um, the other thing that it reminds me of, also of, of current note, is the Alex Gibney Going Clear Scientology documentary. And I say that because a lot of times during this book, um, Guy will you know, make an attempt to try to humanize his translator or his guide. And you ask them questions or, or, or poke a little deeper. And there's a couple of times throughout the book where he, you know, he purposely, he, you know, he does his little commentary observations and he's like, I wonder if that's what they really think. And then he goes into kind of like a little history lesson. and he, So he'll say, you know, he'll ask them like, you know, do you really believe this about the dear leader? Do you really believe this about King Jong-il? And they'll say, of course, of course. But then he'll go and say, they have to say that because if they don't, they'll be taken away from their families or their families will be disappeared. Um, so basically they're kind of it through this installation of fear. They have to believe and so that just sort of cycles in on itself, which is very God. The, there, so much of what's going on in North Korea is so similar to Scientology right now, um, in terms of you know if, if you be, misbehave, what will happen to you or your family or your loved ones? And it just their, their tactics to keep you in the in the groupthink are very similar. Hmm. Um, what, uh, what I liked about this though is that he makes an attempt to humanize the world. So, you know, it's not like he's, he's like, I'm going to just crap on North Korea the whole time. It's very much an autobiographical kind of account of his time in North Korea. And it starts off when he comes to the country to supervise some animation for some French, uh, uh, children's cartoons. And so he's coming in and at that point, I don't know if this is still the case, probably not, but at that point North Korea was actually kind of the bottom feeder for a lot of animation, um, that you would see, you know, worldwide, especially in France because it was just way cheaper. Um, so he's going there to supervise some stuff and, and, and he kind of goes into why, you know, how animation works. And it ends with him leaving North Korea after that sort of that uh, uh, tour of duty, if you will, is done. And he tries to humanize it, but uh, it, you see as it, the more he tries to kind of give them a chance to, you know, it, to show themselves as human, it just never quite works out. And just the, the mundane nature of that country keeps poking through. There's a great sequence um, kind of midway through the book, uh, that that really illustrates this. He's in a car being driven to his next adventure, and he sees an old, or rather, they go across an old rusted bridge that volunteers, quote unquote, are painting royal blue. They're tr- they're basically painting over the rust to make it look you know, presentable. But halfway across the bridge, that just stops, and it's like you know the the painting just stops, and then the people leave, and then from that point on, they never come back, so they never finish the job. And a couple weeks after that, the bridge, you know, the the rust starts to come through the paint again and it's just such a perfect kind of metaphor for the country you know they just keep kind of trying to gloss over all the all the rusted spots all the bad stuff but then it doesn't last very long it's very easy to see through that facade so that was just that that was where i was like oh man this is a great this is just a great little cultural artifact because it's it's one man's simple account you know he's not trying to politicize it in any way it's just him kind of telling you what it is but it really reflects the country then it's great to juxtapose that to the country now and our relationship with it and if you know at some point i think if if north korea ever does fall or or reunifies with south korea like this is accounts like this are going to be all the more sort of uh relevant because you'll be able to go back and 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 sort of see that time capsule what was it like you know how did how did you exist in there like what were the people like um some really good stuff. The, you know, the, the, the illustration's very, you know, very drawn and quarterly, you know, it's just what you'd expect. It's very sort of simple, um, you know, almost like Sunday comic strips kind of, kind of drawing, but still, you know, still very sophisticated. A lot of the panels, you know, are, you know, do their best to sort of illustrate what he's talking about. Um, very, very commentary heavy uh, balloons, but he does these other things too where like I think each, each chapter, they don't call them chapters, but each kind of sequence of, of uh, pages are split up by big splash pages that kind of tee up the next thing he's going to talk about. So there's one, you know, there's one splash page and they all look, they're, they're gorgeous. One of them is like that giant pyramid looking building that you may see in, in certain pictures of, of Pyongyang, um, kind of that big empty hotel. So that's, and then right. like throughout the next couple pages, they'll you know, he'll have stories and stuff that talk about that hotel. Another one is, um, a picture of, uh, your brother, a statue of Kim, of Kim Il song, the original guy up on a, uh, you know, on a giant tower. And it's the only thing lit up at night. Um, you know, he spends a lot of time talking about that. They have to turn their lights off at night and only certain things can be lit up. And, um, So it's just, a, it's such a great little, it's a great little read. It took me about maybe two hours to get through. I'll I'll probably go through it a couple more times because I, you know, I was engaged in the story, but I think there was a lot of, a lot of layers that I think as you go through it multiple times, you'll, you'll start to see different things. You'll, you'll kind of see things. But the other, the other issue is that the more you go through it, or the more you kind of sit with it, you sort of feel like you're him. And a lot of his day-to-day is very mundane, very structured. You know, he, just like the guys in Vice, they have to all stay at this hotel on this Island. Um, And it's the only hotel and there's only one floor of that hotel that foreigners are allowed to stay in. And so like, you know, he's just constantly running to other foreigners, you know, there for either diplomatic aid or for investment or, you know, different things. They all have, you know, they all basically go to the same bar, the same restaurant. So as, as the days go by, not only are his, own actions kind of limited like he can't just go you know roam about the countryside he has to go to specific preordained you know tourist spots quote unquote but then even his life outside of just you know the 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 guided tours and stuff like it's very you know it's kind of a prisoner's life he's you know he's he can kind of come and go but he's he's kind of very limited to his choices uh you know what he can do who he can you know hang out with so to be in north korea under that you know situation for you know six twelve months is uh you kind of see his yeah, you know, it, as it gets closer to the end, he does. He gets a little bit more daring. You know, he will walk. He'll walk out at night by himself, or he'll go. And, you know, he'll ask his his guide if he can go do a thing, and they never really tell him yes or no. So he just goes and does it, and then he gets kind of you know yelled at by the guide. Um, which I think if that were to happen now, would be a, would have a lot more serious consequences. I think maybe in two thousand four things were a little bit, you know, a little bit laxer. Um, just just my just my hunch. So right. I think, you know, overall, great read, great, great thing to have on the shelf um, and definitely something I'll come back to. So you mentioned
0: um, that, you know, someone in the story will tell him uh, some propaganda and then he'll say, well, of course, they're supposed to say that. But is he you know, does he call out those moments like within the flow of panels where then there's sort of a, a Ron Howard narrator voice that comes in and goes, you know, it wasn't what
1: yes yo absolutely okay. and he'll and sometimes he'll <laughs> yeah no exactly he'll it's it's pretty you pretty get a lot of it's just kind of like his uh, internal monologue and then you'll see you know when he actually does interact gotcha. with them and sometimes they'll do a thing too where like you know they go and visit the, the the international friendship museum you know which is the thing that happens in the vice documentary where it's like all the gifts that have ever been given to the kim dynasty um and they'll go there and there's like this is a big deal and you know, at the, at the end, they're like, you know, how did you, did you like it? You know, it was, was it as spectacular as we thought? And it will give his like, you know, it'll show in the panel like what he wants to say and then it'll show what he actually said. He's like, but really ah, what but- I said was, and it will show, you know, but as it gets closer to the end, um, there's a few of those moments where he's maybe not as brazen, but he does, you know, he does question things. And like, you know, it's, you almost see like the way he draws his guide and his translator, like reacting, it, very suggestive of kind of like you know they're like you almost get the sense that they don't want to respond but they know kind of all of this is just bullshit but they want to believe anyway because from birth they've been taught that you know their dear leader is like basically you know basically a god or basically the greatest person in the world the other thing of this that reminds me of scientology so much is that all the people at least in the capital that are sort of the government um, you know government people or you know involved in the higher leadership a lot of the basis of their belief is that what we are doing is actually helping the world. What we're doing is helping, you know, like we're, right, right. you know, we're the, you know, what, what the dear leader has done is is so you know, positive and actually they're, you know, other countries are now seeing that and they're investing in like, so they're, they're all being fed this giant lie that like what, the, you know, that they're really well respected in the world. And like that, everybody looks to North Korea, except for the, you know, that, that damn United States, like everybody looks to them as kind of like, you know, the way the world's gonna be, you know, and they they really don't realize that they're just a giant joke, much the same way Scientologists, like, just don't realize that all of that is just nonsense,
0: you know? And so- Well, it's a cult. I mean, in both cases, it is totally a cult because they believe King Kim Il-sung, you know, did things like, or maybe they don't believe it, but he claimed at least to have invented literature and written hundreds of plays and, mm-hmm. you know, written all the greatest music in the world. And I think Kim Jong-il did the same thing, took credit yeah. for all these, you know, the entire history of the world was written by him and blah, blah, blah. And, um, yeah, so that it, – it seems to me that as you're telling me that that uh, uh, Dalil, the author, has stumbled upon such a great – you know, I haven't read his travelogues either. Um, which is uh, they were recommended to us by Amanda at Muse Comics in mm-hmm. Colorado Springs.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, she told both of us, "Like these, you know, you got to read these." Uh, Guy Liel, in addition to the Pyongyang, um, his his wife is in Doctors Without Borders, and so he had traveled with her and done a travelogue, wherever that was. I can't remember. I think, um, well, there,
1: the first one was um, uh, Shenzhen. Uh, oh yeah, the yeah, Shenzhen, Shenzhen, China
0: and Burma. Yeah, Burma, 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 Burma was the other I think one. The other one I'm yeah. Of. But it's Jerusalem, uh,
1: He did a Jerusalem one, too, which I'm really curious about.
0: You know, one thing we don't talk about um, in most of our comic shows is what, even though we've brought it up in other ways, is, is comics the best m- medium for this story? Mm-hmm. And in so many ways, like the way you're talking about how he's able to have an internal monologue, but show a scene is something you would do, you know, in, in film, maybe. Yeah. But um I don't know. Just comics is such a unique format for that to be able to, to, to show both stories, like what's going on in his head, you know, and the, and the way you describe like how he has to talk about his sort of mundane life and his very like proscribed uh, routine every day. That's a really interesting way to use the format of a comic, like just to show this mundane thing while explaining that all these people here have to, support a different reality like they're they're talking about a fantasy and he's (laughs) you know (laughs) writing about it in a format that often depicts fantasy but he's depicting the mundane well it's worth
1: it's worth noting too that the the black and like it's it needs to be in black and white and it needs to be Mm. sort of pencil drawing to sort of give you a the the black and white nature of the society and the sort of drab monotony of the society so like nothing is ever in color and i don't think if it ever was it would it would change the nature of the story like he doesn't want to illustrate that he wants to illustrate you know like you you as you get pages further and further into the story like just like the uh just that kind of gray gloominess kind of washes over you and you sort of it just helps you get further into the world the other thing i like about why this is you talk about you know is comics or is you know is the is the comics medium the best for this a lot of times while reading this i was reminded of the scott McCloud's understanding comics book um, Ooh. they're just where you, if you haven't picked up that it's just such a great if you want more from this medium than just batman punching the joker or something which is fine don't get me wrong but like if you really want to delve into what this medium can really do i couldn't recommend that more that scott McCloud's understanding comics and he gets into the nuts and bolts about why and how this medium can accomplish certain things that film cannot that tv right, cannot. Right. um and i really felt like he was either intentionally or just just by the nature of him being a craftsman, like was leaning into that so much so that there was a, a sequence uh, kind of towards the end where he runs into another animator friend of his, who's come over to sort of help with a different production. And that, that friend was talking about like his, the last time he was in North Korea, he had this really shitty experience and, and Guy tells him like, you know, they're, they're in the office and he's like, Hey, if I do a book about my stay in Korea, maybe you could draw that for me in two in two pages or so. And so like he actually includes that friend's, depiction it if the next page is flipped to that friend's own drawings and depiction of his like kind of uh, like a crash course of his mini story in Korea like there's a specific story that happened with him shooting you know shooting film of garbage and they had to take the film from it and it was like a big deal so it's cool to see him like go to that friend's point of view and then back to Guy Dalil's you know existing narrative like that was just a fun little blip so there's a lot to this story you know again I, I bring up that Vice documentary because it that is if you want to see Firsthand what it's like, that's great. But if you want to kind of get into the nuance of the thinking of somebody's mind, you have of an, an artist's mind going through this, you're not gonna even if he had like a little flip camera or a GoPro or something his entire time, you're not gonna get the same kind of nuance and just sort of mm. into his mindset as you would with with the graphic novel format. So I, I really think it it does does work in that capacity
0: i love that. that is such a perfect thing to point out because in the vice documentary one of the things they are slightly obsessed with is will this be confiscated from us yeah whereas like you know guy delil of course he takes his memory with him when he leaves and Mm. that's um that's so much more powerful in a way that um you know it's it's vice almost couldn't well they definitely couldn't shoot certain things because they knew like if we record this they'll just take the tapes you know it's not mm-hmm. it's not going to make it out of the country um but but the leo leaves with all that intact do you as a reader do you feel like not only did you get his perspective but you also understand some of the history of north korea is it yes deep, definitely like, it goes back to il sung through jong il and kind of tells you that story
1: Definitely. Yeah. And because he does take, you know, there's sort of two, two things going on, two narratives going on simultaneously. There's his, you know, work at the animation company and sort of the day to day there. And like, you know, they, there's, he always kind of anchors the story by coming back to, um, you know, like today we went and did this and like, you know, they they misdrew, they misdrew. You know this this motion because that's not a cultural familiarity to them, so he had to explain and like. And then the director was slow, and so you get a, a lot of that to anchor the story. But he'll do these amazing things, like where he'll cut, you know, just randomly. He'll cut, you know, after after sort of finishing a sequence, he'll cut and go quiz, and he'll show you like a lineup, like with six or seven people, and it's like <laughs> this group of iron iron-willed revolutionaries includes a vile anti-party element corrupted by the imperialist bourgeoisie. Can you find him? And he'll keep jumping back to that and he'll show you, you know, and you'll see these guys drawn and then like you flip it over and, in you know, tiny, kind of tiny font below, he'll say what the answer is. So like in this case, the answer is number two, because his badge is smudged and he doesn't have a handkerchief to clean it. So his Kim Jong Il badge is smudged. And so like the next time he does that quiz, that person's missing now and the rest of them are still standing no. there and he'll go through. And so he'll give you like little little almost infographic nuggets like that 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 explain different aspects of the culture or you know explain different aspects of the regime or why things are the way they are so it really bundles it all up and again if you've seen the vice documentary a lot of this will seem familiar to you but you'll still have his Guy Delis's point of view on it which i think is is just as important but if you haven't seen the vice documentary this book i think will mean even more to you because you're just like wow like a lot of a lot of the sort of revelations of that documentary are yeah. here too and you get to see them um kind of firsthand and for the first time,
0: yeah, it, so um in addition to that, so if he's just telling a uh, you know he's basically explaining his experiences there, and they cover a set amount of time where he was working you know on this animation project. Mm-hmm. Um, what what is the story arc? what is the structure of that? like do you is there a resolution? is there a a climax? do you feel? You know, when as a reader, did you f- get that out of it, or is it very much like reading just a personal diary or journal?
1: Much more like a personal diary. There's okay. definitely not a act one, two, or three. You could you know, a lot of the, a lot of the events are kind of interchangeable in terms of their sequence. Um, Got it. But it, it. It does. It does feel very it diary-like. Quickly.
0: It moved quickly enough where you you read it in one sitting.
1: Yes. Yo, definitely. And you you don't have to, you could, you could find a pausing place, but I encourage you to read it in one sitting just because it's, um, again, you need to kind of fall into the monotony of the world that he's right. And he's created for you. I think if you, if you take too many breaks, it won't feel quite the same. Like you kind of need to feel as a reader, you're, you can't escape either. You have to stick with it till the end. I think that will fuel your, your context of it. Excellent.
0: Is there, you know, anything else uh, you can add to that discussion? Anything anything else you want to mention that we haven't covered?
1: I think we're good. But, yeah, definitely yeah. go pick up uh, Guy Dalil. Not Guy Dalil. De Guy Delisle's. <laughs> My credibility is already shot to hell from that. Pyongyang, A Journey in North Korea, Drawn in Quarterly. And I guess just for a reminder, what was your book and where can folks find it?
0: Rocket Girl from Image Comics. Trade
1: for back number one paperback number one well that concludes this week's coffee and comics todd um i look forward to doing this more yeah and, this uh, is fun i think if you guys I, I love listen- your pick.
0: i'm so i'm so jealous of that because uh i have looked at those guida leo books uh it, there's no reason why i haven't gotten them except that like often when right. i'm in a comic book shop i think no i want something light and fun yeah, you know? yeah
1: exactly um, exactly like but you're I, right I, like
0: once it's on the staff picks thing it's like yeah i get it i i, what
1: gotta, I, I even told them that at the store i'm like you guys call me both like haha like i think because i think they had had trouble moving them for that exact ah. reason like everybody knows that they're you know you at some point you should add this but i think everybody gets distracted by something else or like i'm just not in the mood right now so them highlighting i think was i did exactly what they wanted me to do which was really fun
0: yeah um, that's that's great yeah i I got to go get those, all of them.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And we're going to start keeping, we'll keep a a, a running list of all our picks on the website. So if you guys ever want to go back and see your purchase um, as we go, you know, we'll always have them there. So feel feel free to to go uh, find us on, on our website. And actually you can find all of our podcasts, especially this one on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play and pocket casts. We are find us there. That is all one word. Find us there on Twitter, and soundcloud and our website of course is find us there.org so for all things regarding this show and, and all of our shows on the there network go to find us there.org and uh i'm i'm glad we did this todd i can't wait to do this yeah, next one uh you can join us every week now from now until we get tired of it <laughs> on coffee and comics and the todd and taylor show todd i'll see you next week i'll see you taylor